time to play ball. Welcome to the podcast with no limits. Whether it be sports, current events, or random thoughts, this is the place to step in and stay a while. Your host is a proud alumnus of Rio Hondo Prep, a former minor league baseball umpire, and a man with strong opinions. Welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast and your host, Matt Persima. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. It is a Friday edition of the podcast, and we have a wonderful guest today, as we often do, to have a long-form conversation with. This is someone I've wanted to have on here for quite some time, and uh, a lot of people have requested this person. So uh, without spending any more time explaining it, let's get right to our guest today. We are going to be joined to you. To, with me today by Mr. Pat Taylor. Mr. Pat Taylor, let's bring him on the old show here. There he is. Mr. Pat Taylor, welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast. Can you hear me? Can you hear me, Mr. Taylor? I can hear you, Matt. I there, can hear you. There we go. Welcome to the show. There we Mr. go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's so good to see you. It's been such a long time. Thank you, Matt. It's been a while. Well, Mr. Such Taylor, great memories. Of oh, <laughs> so many, so many. And and Mr. Taylor, you were, uh, you know, without, uh, we're going to touch on a lot of different things today, but you were a lifelong leader in Cary Youth League. You've been a pastor. You have been a missionary, spending a lot of time in uh, San Felipe, Mexico. You've you've been in Georgia, Northern California, born in Nebraska, I believe. I mean, I don't know where to start, but let's try to start at the beginning uh, born in Nebraska, right? Yes, born in Omaha, Nebraska, but I didn't, I was just one year old when uh, my mom and dad moved out here to uh, Southern California. Actually, uh, as I understand, they told me they rented a home up on, on Live Oak and Santa Anita, which isn't very far from where, uh, you know, our Care Youth League is today. But I ended up in San Gabriel uh, on Muscatel Street, uh, and lived there. My dad built a home there, and and I stayed there until uh, my freshman year in high school. Wow. Well, I know you're very proud of your Nebraska roots, especially Omaha. One of my favorite events uh, is always the College World Series in Omaha, Nebraska, but uh, being, you know, Nebraska football, I know, is still probably a little near and dear to your heart a little bit. Yes, it is. Nebraska, well, there was a day when Nebraska was really something, you know, yeah. it's, it's not like that now, but I can remember one of the trips I was on with you. I, I don't know if you were on that trip, but we stopped at the University of Nebraska, visited, went out on the went on a football field, and then went to the uh, gift shop, and I called my wife, and I said, dear, I really want to buy a jacket, and <laughs> not that I had to call her, but in those days, money was really tight, and we made serious decisions about things but I bought a really nice Nebraska jacket and I uh, remember it yeah you wore it well you wore it well it was uh, yes I wore it I wore it I wore it quite a bit on that uh, that that could have been 2005 I know I was with you on 2005 I don't know what trips I was with you before that but yeah yeah that sounds right you were uh, in charge of the college guys there and and so among other things of course but yeah the Nebraska roots I know uh, I know run deep and I've (laughs) You know, good. I, I haven't. I'll tell you this. I haven't met anyone. Uh, I haven't met a non nice, good person from Nebraska. I tell you that. I've met a, <laughs> so, good. the good people. So anyway, uh, out to Southern California. You grow up um, not too far from from Boys Christian League, and 
when exactly did you uh, did you um, discover Boys Christian League, or how old were you when all that went down? Well, it, it's hard to believe that it's been 70 years, but uh, I was going to school at Roosevelt, um, and I was in fifth grade. My very best friend, a uh, boy named Roy, uh, asked me to come, and I didn't know much about it, Didn't and I wasn't really into sports too much at that time. I, I loved playing, but I never... And uh, my mother talked to his mother, and um, she said, you can go. And I walked up to the corner of uh, what we call is Walnut Grove now, but it was Putney in that day, Putney and Broadway. And a man came in an army truck, a really large army truck, and there were some boys in the back of it, and there were about 10 of us waiting for him at the corner on a wall, white wall, I can remember the white wall, <laughs> got into the truck, and he took us out to East Pasadena. And he took us to his home. Uh, it was the only thing that he really had as far as a, a facility at the time. And he converted one of his bedrooms into a club room for us. And uh, we had our club meeting there. I remember having a little Bible story and so forth and got kind of introduced to what Boys Christian League was. And then we went to, a, we practiced and I played a game on Saturday and uh, very first baseball game I think I ever played in. And then about six months after uh, I joined, uh, or after he picked me up that first day, we had walked back up there again to get picked up to come to go to what we call club meeting. Got in the army truck, and instead of heading to East Pasadena, he, he was heading in a direction we didn't know. And he took us down here into uh, Arcadia, my home's right, backs up right to the facility here. And uh, he drove down Farnes Street, and when we got down to the end of Farnham Street, there was no driveway, but uh, it was just six acres of what was, to me, weeds bigger than we were. And he got us out of the truck. He said, boys, I want you to get out, and I want you to look at this. And he said, this is going to be our home. This is going to be where we're going to be. And uh, from there, it's developed into a magnificent facility uh over the years but uh, in the very beginnings i can remember we would pull weeds and it didn't seem like we were ever going to get the thing cleaned up but we did and uh that's kind of how it got all started and that's how i got started in it and i've been with it ever since it's pretty amazing to think about 51504 avenue now and and what it very beginning was right to to experience both of those you and your peers has got to be just so special. I mean, you're looking out and I mean, in a way it's like, Hey, this is, uh, this is the promised land, right. (laughs) That, uh, (laughs) that, uh, Moses talked about, but like you look out there and you're like, what, this is going to be where we play. Oh, we got some work to do though. (laughs) Yes. Even today, when I walk out my back gate on the field three there and just look over the property and, and my mind goes back to those beginning years, you know, and all the work that we did and the, and the big, we put huge pipes in the ground and all kinds of stuff. It's an amazing thing. And field one is just so special to me still played on it for so many years. Um, but it's just a really, really special place. Mm-hmm. So many again. memories. Indeed. Of well, so who, many children that I had. Who were so, who were some of the, your peers when you were playing, playing ball? I think I know, but for the audience, well, yeah, who were some there was, well, the Dave Carson's, Senior, uh, Dave and uh, Randall Johnson, who's passed, uh, was we kind of grew up together. He was a couple of years younger than I was. Doug Logan, I don't know if you ever knew who Doug was, but the great, great man became a dentist out in uh, 
the upland area. Um, John Lee, um, John, Gary Lunny, Bill Orsburn. Bill just lives two doors down from me here. Uh, we all grew up together, played together. Uh, Mike Dowd was my, Mike was five years older than I am, was my leader. But we, you know, we just, we just grew up together. We had such great memories. And then, you know, on the, on the, at the time, on the girls' side, there was Janet Johnson. You know, it wasn't Janet Johnson, Janet Donmore and Marion Sheffy, who became Marion Carson and uh, uh, Jackie, uh, who became Jackie Wickstrom and uh, my wife, Barbara and uh, Jim, my brother-in-law, Jim Smith, who lived, they just grew up on the corner down here. And so there's just so many, wow. just so many. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, we, we still have great, great times together, um, you know, fellowship together and see each other on Sundays and, and at other times. And it's just really special. It, it's, an, I, it's not something that I think you can really put into words, hmm. the, the fellowship and the closeness and the, uh, that we've had all these years together. We've experienced everything together. Hmm. We experience the ups and the downs and the times when you're on the mountain peak and times when you're just in the valley. I mean, just just all kinds of things we've experienced. But anyway, it's been great. Oh, really yeah. Great. I mean, to have uh, friendships like that for so long oh, when, it just, when it started. It, I mean, that's cherish. just you can't Absolute you can't cherish. put a price on that. Um, no, you can't. You can't. Uh, so I got to ask you, I, I asked kind of, kind of some different leaders this. What? Of the sports you played, did you enjoy all of them, or was one more specific that you liked to play uh, as a kid? Well, I didn't enjoy football. <laughs> um, I was, uh, they were, ch- I mean, you know, I was not very big, and, uh, uh, you know, I did it because it was part of what we did, but if I, I, I wouldn't choose necessarily, and I was flag football, I loved it, but when it came tackle, that was a different thing. <laughs> basketball, I liked. I really enjoyed basketball, but I loved baseball. Uh, really loved baseball. And uh, uh, those were, those were the sports. You, you know, I interviewed John Lee senior a couple months ago and I said, you know, I, I know the great men that you, Mr. Lunny and Mr. Taylor, we all know that. I said, I want to know what they were like as athletes. Cause John Lee, he was a pretty good pitcher, Gary Lunny, great pitcher apparently. But he mm-hmm. said, he said, yeah, Mr. Taylor was pretty fast and a pretty <laughs> slick infielder as well. So uh, <laughs> yeah, well, Appreciate that, but yeah, the- <laughs> it, was, it was just a lot of fun. Really, yeah. really great, a lot of fun. Oh yeah, can't you can't beat those childhood memories. And for yeah. a lot of for a lot of people who went through care, we all kind of remember that first day of. Uh, mm-hmm. We weren't getting on army trucks, but we got on a, on a bus, right. and I'll right. never forget right. that uh, for me. So uh, you go into to high school now. At the time, there wasn't a real Hondo prep, or was there? No, no, no. Real Hondo prep didn't didn't start until after uh, I had graduated. Um, no, high school was, uh, uh, we went, I went to San Gabriel High School my first year as a freshman. Um, it was, the, the, that was a time where uh, a lot of uh, Mr. Hampton had a meeting with us in eighth grade because there wasn't really a high school program at the time, Mr. Hampton being the founder of our work. And he said he needed some, was hoping that some of us would stay so that he could start a, a high school program. Uh, a lot of complications with that because uh, at the time CIF would not allow any high school to play uh, uh, kids who were not in a high school. But Mr. Hampton, enough of us stayed that he was able somehow to form a team and CIF allowed us to do it. We ended up playing schools like Arroyo and Monrovia and, and things like that. Um, 
but and then in my you know my as you talk about my high school career then as a sophomore uh, my father we came home one night and my my uh, I had come home we had dinner and dad, sitting at the table and dad said that uh, it was necessary that we were going to have to move and that just that crushed me I mean I was just, that was really hard and we ended I had to go up to Northern California and uh, so I spent three years in at the high school in Lodi Lodi Union High School and really concentrated on studies, didn't do much in anything else really at the time. I was just, uh, but, but every time I had a chance, every Easter, every Christmas, and my mom, dad said it was okay, uh, I would come back down to visit. <laughs> and then uh, when I graduated from high school, well, one of the things that was so, meant a lot to me, when I had graduated, when I, graduation was coming, sent out all the, you know, how they do send out your invitations and so forth. And I had sent one to Mr. Hampton and some of the people down here. And, and Mr. Hampton called and said, Pat, I'm coming up. I'm going to fly up for your graduation. So he flew up to, to Lodi. Uh, never forget, it was June 4th, 1959. And uh, then he went back. And then I asked my mom and dad if it were, if I, I, would I have their permission? Because I wanted that. I had graduated. I really wanted to come back down and begin to work at Boys Christian League. Mr. Hampton had asked me what I wanted to do. And I said, well, I wanted to do that. He was very clear at the time. I remember that morning when, when he was in our home and he said, Pat, one of the things that I cannot promise you is that you're going to get paid every month. Money was really tight. And I said, oh, I understand, Mr. Hampton. And um, so I did come down and uh, my mom, dad said it was okay. What they supported me in that, uh, Money was very tight, but you know everything is is somewhat. Uh, it, how do you say it? Versus today, today it was a lot more money, but it, there's a lot more expenses. In my day, you you know a gallon of gas was twenty five cents, and um, but eighteen dollars and seventy six cents was the first paycheck I ever received from Carrie's League for a week's work, and it stayed that way for a long time. John and I and Gary. We used to try to supplement our income by working at night at different places where we could until things uh, got a little better as years went on. But uh, it was a, it was an experience that I cherish. I loved the Lodi experience, but I was glad to get back and really begin to work at Boys Christian League because I really felt that's where God really wanted me to spend my time. Well, to kind of piggyback on that, I always, you know, you hear the story about people wanting to stick around, wanting to contribute and you know, knowing that the money wasn't going to be much money there. Was mm -hmm. it ultimately just something on your heart that said, yeah. I want to be here. I'm called to be here. I want to, I want to help. That was the experience, Matt. I believe of everyone who was there. Uh, we all had, we all came to a place where we had to make a decision about that kind of thing, whether we were going to go out and pursue a job that would give us a lot of money or one that wouldn't. And, and in fact, again, uh, how much time we have in this interview, but my father, when I was a senior, when I was in, uh, in high school, my dad worked in a really well, well, well to do company. And one day he wanted me to come with him and just tour the plant. And we did. And I remember walking around and then he walked into an office that was empty. And he said to me, he said, Pat, if you, when you graduate, you have a job right here. Hmm. And the money was going to be really good. And you know, that was, a uh, that was hard. That was hard. Not, not so much the money issue, but the fact that I knew my dad wanted me to do that. But when my dad finally came about two months before I graduated, my dad asked me again. And I said, dad, 
I said, I, I, I really, really must, must do what I feel God would have me to do, and that's to be in ministry. And so there was a calling with that in my experience as a junior. But anyway, so I, I, like you say, Matt, I think I think most of the ones who were there made that choice because there wasn't much money. There was yeah. not a there was not a guarantee of income at the time, and um, you know, it's like it's not we're not unique to that. I think there's a lot of organizations like that, especially nonprofits and th right. so forth. But it was a special time for us in going through that too. Yeah. And, and I want to ask kind of not to backtrack, but just kind of no. as far as Mr. Hampton goes, because I know, you know, he was gone before my right. time and everything, but uh, right. the stories you hear, what was it? What was it about his message, his delivery that drew people to be so committed? What, what it, was it? Was there anything specific or was it just, well, I don't know. Unless you knew him again, it would be hard to express it, but there was a love. Mm. that that man had for us as boys and girls in this in this program and he was and he so was convinced that god would meet our needs mm. that in the end you know as the scriptures teach if we, if we put him first if we really seek to do his will then then he will meet the needs we have not necessarily all the wants but the needs and so we had to make those choices do i and i i just wanted that i really i really I wanted, I really wanted to live a life that was pleasing to God. Hmm. And uh, I, I believed at the time that, that that being there was where I was supposed to be. And, and was that, that was true all the way up, in, you know, until I retired in 2008. It would have been nice to uh, to meet him. I, I played yes. alongside his, uh, one of his grandsons, I believe, in, in Paul yes. Hampton. But uh, yeah, special man, it sounds oh. like. Um, so not, we're going to, not to, we're going to continue with the story here, but mm -hmm. when you were up in Northern California, up in Lodi, that is, that's kind of when this, uh, your fandom, uh, for a certain team started when you were living oh. up in Northern California. Well, look, the, the <laughs> year that I moved, okay, let me just clarify this because okay. there's a lot of people, my friends don't still totally understand why I'm a giant fan. Um, the year that I moved, the New York giants moved to San Francisco. And the, Los, and the Brooklyn Dodgers moved to Los Angeles, okay? Got it. At the, before those teams had moved, I really was a Yankee fan. I remember growing, I remember watching on television, watching Yogi Berra and Mickey Mantle and all of them playing against the Dodgers in the World Series, you know, and, and Pee Wee Reese and, and Phil Rizzuto and, <laughs> you know, all <laughs> these guys. In fact, we actually got, to, when, when I was uh, in eighth grade, uh, we went on a summer trip, Mr. Hampton, or in ninth grade, I guess it was. Mr. Hampton took us. Anyway, I remember going to Yankee Stadium and seeing Mickey Mantle, seeing Yogi Berra, and seeing those guys play. And they that that was my team. But when I moved, and then the the Giants moved up to 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 uh, San Francisco, that was only fifty miles away. I just for whatever reasons uh, attached to that team, and uh, <laughs> so that's a side story. But. You know. <laughs> I understand it. I always my friends do not understand. I... They do not understand how I could possibly be a giant fan because they everybody down here is a Dodger fan. <laughs> it's, it's, an, it's an intense rivalry that traveled 3,000 miles. And yeah, you know, yeah, right. living in Southern I, California, how do you root yeah. for the Giants? No, I. Yeah, well, I still do. Yeah. Uh, you know, they've been, I mean, to me, there's no, to, I mean, the Dodgers are just, just so, so talented this year again. Mm -hmm. But but I'm amazed that the Giants are still one game ahead. Probably a week from now, it's not going to be that way. <laughs> you know. 
I love it. It's okay. It's I okay. always I always say with fandom, it's like I, I like it regionally, you know, rooting for teams yeah. in your area yeah. or have a story, <laughs> have a connection. Sounds like you have a great show. Yeah. Uh, and those three those three World Series in five years a few years ago must have had. Yes, that was good. And I remind my friends about yeah. that every once in a while. <laughs> I, I bet <laughs> they you keep telling me how bad the Giants are. <laughs> Not this year. They haven't said that, but they have yeah. before. Oh, boy. What a rivalry. <laughs> All right. Okay, so after high school, you come back down. What were some of your early responsibilities uh, working for Boys Christian? Well, in, in those days, man, the, the, the teams now are different names than they were when I was, when I was there as a leader. But <clears throat> Atlantic Coral, Indian Superior, we had area directors. <clears throat> and I was an area director of Indian. I've been an area director of Superior, area director of Atlantic. I think I was an area director of all of the teams at different times throughout the years. Um, And so I was doing quite a bit of that. Then I got into administration. And then in 1964, you know, the school opened up. And though I was not here in 1964, I was actually in at Fort Benning. And and I was in the army, had been drafted, went to Fort Benning and then on to Vietnam. But when I got home, uh, 1966, Real Hunter Prep was going. Uh, It was very small, very small. Mr. Hampton wanted me to teach. And... um, so I ended up starting because I had, I had done quite a bit of study of Latin and I started teaching Latin uh, for quite a few years at Real Hunter Prep in the very beginning. Uh, and then uh, went on from there to Spanish. I was I, I'd quite a bit into Spanish also teaching um, and partly because of the love of something else we haven't discussed of, of going and visiting San Felipe, oh, yeah. where I ended up spending 20 years of my time too. Was that a little... <laughs> Was that, I shouldn't say a little frustrating. Was that a lot frustrating when you, you go up to Northern California? Okay, you're, you're in this place you love. Then you get up to Northern California, you find, you come back. And then all of a sudden in 64, it's like, uh, all right, no, you got to go uh, you yeah, know, train uh, in the art. You know, in those days, uh, there was the draft. And uh, so the papers came. I was hoping they wouldn't. Uh, that was before the Vietnam War started, though. And so it wasn't like it was a fear of going there. It was just a matter of I didn't want to leave. But 1964, January 28th, uh, Mr. Hampton took me up into Los Angeles and got off and got into that room and got sworn in and got on a train and sent up to Fort Ord and wow. spent the, my basic training up there. And, well, that was, a, that was quite an experience, <laughs> yelling and screaming and so forth that you just weren't used to. And then on to, then, then I got my orders to go to Fort Benning, Georgia. And so I spent 16 months there. Wow. Wonderful time in, in Fort Benning, at, at Columbus, Georgia. And, uh, you know, you were one of many leaders who, who yes. served were drafted. Yes. Gary Lunny, Ken yes, Drain Mr. later. Um, right. Yeah. Gary Lunny, Ken Drain, Don Mosier. Don Mosier. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all went to Vietnam. Uh, Oric Hampton didn't go to Vietnam, but he was at Fort Huachuca in Arizona. Uh, Bill Orsburn didn't go to Vietnam, but he was stationed in Washington, D.C. Uh, so a lot of us of, of that age were in the service at one time or another. Vernon Wickstrom, Mike Dowd was uh, drafted, went to Korea. Uh, I believe he went to Korea, but anyway, yeah. You know what I find interesting? I mean, it, I think there's a reason for it. Uh, it's not to say that there aren't necessarily you know it, things don't always work out but i find it interesting that of all the leaders really that served and then especially specifically vietnam that um you know god kept their hand his hand over them and, and you know it wasn't so fortunate for many other soldiers there right. but uh, i always that always stuck with me i said man all the leaders yeah. they they, yeah. they came yeah, back you, 
you sensed his protection, not that it couldn't have happened or been in, in situations, but I, I thank God when I, when they, yeah. my, my time was up and they said, you can go home. And I was very grateful. And very so you, you come back and you're like, okay, finally, I'm here. I'm not leaving. I'm going to be at Boys Christian League, Carey Youth League. Right. So late 60s now, uh, with the schools opening up or early 60s? Yep. Early 60s, 1964. So the school's and, opening uh, up and so you were I, teaching and... Uh, I was teaching, yeah, I was teaching Latin uh, and then into the 70s. Um, and then I got into administration. They wanted me in fundraising and so forth. And I spent quite a few years in the fundraising department uh, with with uh, some teaching that my teaching load became less. And um, and then really, I, I suppose the next step in my journey was the the... the going to San Felipe. Uh, San Felipe was something that um, in the days way before the school, there was a group, we had a Sunday evening group of kids. Um, we were kind of met together in Sunday evenings. We were called, we called ourselves Fosterians. That was the name of the group. <clears throat> and out of Fosterians, there was a group called the Fosterians Abroad. And they were a group of, of there was uh, Arla Stout and Francis Hampton and myself, Randall Johnson, Marion Carson, numbers of them felt uh, not necessarily that we were going to go to be a missionaries, but we're interested in, in, in missionary work. And uh, Vernon Wickstrom and Philip Ostergaard Sr., I mean, Philip Ostergaard, the one who passed on also, he and remember Mr. Hampton, Philip Ostergaard, Francis Ostergaard, and James Sutons were really the only four leaders that there were at the time when I joined. And, um, but Philip Ostergaard, Vernon Wickstrom, and a gentleman named Dale Ostrander, wanted to venture out to see if there was some place we might want to be able to do some missionary work. And they went down to Tijuana and Tijuana was just way too big. And so they headed down to Ensenada and then when they got to Ensenada, they felt the same thing. So they went across Ensenada to a little place, little fishing village called San Felipe. They got stuck in the mud. The story is, and they, they, some people came to help them and so forth, but somehow or another, they met a couple of people that they really appreciated knowing and so forth. And, decided that maybe it came back and told us about it. And we thought, well, maybe we could do something with San Felipe. Okay. So we went down in um, 1958. I went, well, there's 10 of us, Mrs. Hampton, the, the wife, the Ruth Hampton was the founder of the Girls Christian League, Mr. Hampton's wife. She and Mr. Francis Hustegard and 10 of us uh, went down, Francis Hampton again, Arliss Stroud, Marion Carson and Randall Johnson and others. And we drove our, our bus into the school. There was one little school in town. And we had a volleyball net, put it up, didn't know whether anybody would come. Uh, nobody knew Spanish. I knew a little bit, but not much. And um, one little guy, there was a little boy at the school. He was about nine years old at the time. Uh, he saw us. He ran across the street to a half-built Catholic church, began ringing a bell. And within, I think, 15 minutes, there must have been 20 children show up. <laughs> and so we... We got this volleyball net thing out and we just started playing volleyball. Really, it was just quite an experience. And uh, I didn't know any Spanish at all except Tango said, which means I'm thirsty. And I wasn't thirsty, but I was showing off by saying that I knew because <laughs> I said Tango said. And as I said Tango said, some little boy on the other side of the volleyball net just runs away. And I said, man, I wonder what I, I wonder what I wonder if Tango said really means what I thought it meant. Okay, because he left. Five minutes later, he comes back with a big glass of water. Oh. And it was the kindest thing. And he came up 
to me and he gave it to me and I wasn't thirsty, but I, you know, I, I, I wasn't going to not drink it. And I drank the whole glass of water. And then I remember we went out to camp that night, way out in the boonies where nobody was around, had a campfire and Mr. Ostergaard was giving us uh, different points and so forth and the little devotions. And then he said, now look, there's two rules. One is you don't go anywhere without shoes on because there's just glass everywhere. And second thing is you don't drink the water. If you drink the water, you're going to get sick. And I remember sitting around the campfire and somebody raised their hand and said, Miss Oscar, Pat drank a whole glass of water at the school. <laughs> and my stomach began to turn a little, I remember. And then <laughs> this is true. He, he came up to me and he said, Pat, he said, you're not going to get sick. Now, how, you know, sometimes we wonder how people they say things and how do they really know? And he said, you're not going to get sick. But he said, don't you ever do it again. And I didn't get sick. Not that time. Now, there were other times we did get sick. A lot of us as we went down there. But what ended up happening was, after that experience, we decided, look, we're going to do this. And we went down every, and there was only 200 children in the school. So every Christmas, we, got, we carefully parents gave us 200 gifts, wrapped them, took them down, gave a present to every child in the school. And every Easter, we go down right after Easter uh, Sunday for four, three or four days and do activities and, and so forth. And we did that all the way up until... 1987 when uh and we were doing it then but in 1987 uh i was married and i was talking to barb and the whole san Felipe thing was just i could not it just seemed like i couldn't do anything else but take do something for those children and i told barb i said barbara i wish i, I want to go and she was willing she wanted to come with me obviously and uh i told miss ostergaard and miss ostergaard said well pat the problem is we don't we, there's no way to help you financially if you do this and I said, you know, I said, okay, we borrowed as much money as we could, which wasn't a lot, but we borrowed enough to buy a, a fifth wheel trailer and a 76 red pickup. I thought maybe you had been down there. I was going to say you probably rode in that red pickup with me uh, from a couple in, in, in Covina. And we hauled it down. We bought a little piece of property right in the middle of town, $2,500. We hauled that fifth wheel trailer in there, put down indoor outdoor carpet on the outside, built some benches and started what was to become in Spanish, La Liga del Futuro, which means the League of the Future, because it wasn't a real way to translate Care Youth League the way I wanted to. And uh, I didn't know how financially it was all going to work. Didn't have, did not know. I just trusted God was going to meet the need. I remember I went down and that verse that said, I, the Lord, thy God, will, you know, open the door. No man, no man will be able to close it. And um, I said, all right, Lord, I'll do it, but I don't have any money. And um, it worked. But the first day of sign-ups, I went to the school and told the children I wanted to start a program. If they wanted to come, you know, sign up on Saturday. A hundred and about 120 boys showed up. Far more than I could take care of. I didn't know what to do. I mean, I, I, I just didn't believe that there was that many that, but there was 120 that whole Saturday signing up. What I was grateful for, finally recognizing that there, the, 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 the school had a morning session and an afternoon session. Eight to 12 was one in the morning, one to five was in the afternoon. So I was able to take care of children all day. Those who went in the afternoon, I take them in the morning. When they went to school in the morning, I had them in the afternoon. And so I was able to make 10 teams. And uh, some of the people who helped me financially were men at the businessmen in San Felipe who happened to be 
part of the little, we were in the schools during the 70s and the 80s when we were coming down at Easter and at, at uh, uh, Christmas. And one of the boys, the boy that ran across the street to ring that bell, that little nine-year-old boy, his name was Umberto. He became principal of the afternoon session school. Wow. He was very supportive of what I was doing. And uh, so it worked. Uh, we had, I had 10 teams. The children came every day of the week for either club meetings or, or practices. And then Saturday from nine o'clock to five o'clock, straight through the day was games. Um, it worked really well. 1,069 boys and girls participated. Wow. And of the 1,069, 378 of them, I was able, you probably remember this, I was able to bring up, a, I tried to bring up 30 every other year up to Care Youth League to run in a track meet and go to Disneyland, go to the zoo. And if the Dodgers were in town, go to a Dodger game. I do remember. Uh, that didn't cost the children anything. It was supported by the Care Youth League parents. I didn't have to have visas and passports because these kids didn't have that at all. But the, our government allowed me to do it until 2001, when September 11th. After that, I was that, that no longer would work. But I was able to bring them up, and uh, you know, and and what is so amazing to me, Matt, and what I'm so grateful for, is of the 1,069 that I had, over 800 of them. Uh, I'm sorry. Over 800 I have uh, on Facebook. Mm. And when their birthdays come, like today, there's four or five that have birthdays. I will message them, tell them happy birthday. If they have a phone number, I'll try to call them. Uh, the, the, the bond between, they're, 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 they understand that they are my children, even though today now they're parents and some of them are grandparents. And, you know, <laughs> it's, it's been a while because the last, the last group I had was in 2006. But um, it's been, a, it's been a, a marvelous experience. And I am so grateful for all the experiences I had with that and what I saw the Lord do. And some people can say these things can just happen well. If I could just share one experience real quickly with San Felipe, I was, I was, my boys, they, they would walk and I had girls too. I didn't have girls the first year. I was very, I was very concerned about how to handle the girl program. Uh, I didn't want to do something that would be inappropriate. And I, I just, it was just something I was very, very hesitant about. But after the first year, I, every time I went to the school, every time the gates opened up and I walked in, the girls come running up and say, my brother's playing, my uncle's playing. Why can't we? And so finally we opened up. I, I said, okay, we'll do it. I had them on Fridays. But I remember one day, most of them just would walk to my home for club meetings and to the ball field for, for practices. I never saw parents. Parents never came to the games even on Saturday. It was just the children. But I decided uh, that first year I was going to start picking them up because th th some of them were walking such great distances. And if I could just share this real quickly, I was driving out one day just to say what the Lord had done. I was driving out with my third graders. I had about 12 of them in the back of the pickup and I was going out to get my last two and they were out a long ways away from town. And as I was going down that dirt road, I came to a really big patch of sand and uh, I, I didn't think I could get through it. So I stopped the truck and was starting to back up and I was going to go around it. And as I was backing up, one of my little boys, I never forgot his name. His name was Federico, kind of a live wire third grader. <laughs> anyway, he decides, I think just to show off, to jump out. So he jumped out of the pickup and I didn't know it, but I'm backing up. But as he was, as he jumped out, he fell down. 
And as I'm backing up, all of a sudden, for the first time, the boys just began pounding on the top of my pickup. And I hit my, they had never done that before. And I was really not happy about what they were doing. And I hit the brake really quick, opened up the door to, to tell them, look, you cannot, why are you doing this? And as I opened up the truck, opened up the door and starting to say it to them, I see little Fiddley go over on the side of the road. I had run over him with the back wheel of my car, my truck. And um, he was crying. I was out in the middle of nowhere, no cell phones anyway. And uh, not knowing what to do, I know picking up with somebody like that, you're just taking some serious issues can happen, but I had no other choice. So I picked up Federico and I carried him into the, the cab of my truck. And I said, Federico, I gotta get you to a doctor. And he's crying, we're going down the road. I can't go very fast because there's potholes and dirt and sand. and. And I'm just so grateful I happened to go right by. I, there were four clinics. I chose one of the clinics to go to. There were no hospitals. And the clinic that I happened to choose to go by happened to go right by where, his, where he lived. And as I was going down, he, he, one thing he did say, he said, my mama, my mother, he saw his mother outside. I stopped, jumped out of the truck, ran over to her and told her what had happened. And I said, you got to come with me. And she came in the truck with me. She was very emotionally upset. And I remember we got finally to the clinic. I she got out, the boy stayed in the back of the pickup, and I, I carried Federico out, put him, brought him into the room, into the room, and there was a big table, and the doctor said, put him on the table, and I did, and then he looked out the window, and he saw all my boys, and he said, uh, Patricio, you need to take those boys back home, so I said, okay, so I went back out, and I told the boys, I said, look, we're not going to practice today, I'll see you, you know, the, the next practice day, and so forth, the game's on Saturday, so I took them back, and as I'm coming back, there was obviously a lot of my, 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 I mean, my, I was just in a distraught situation and I was praying. I said, Lord, I don't know what to do. And you've got to intervene. And I remember that there was a verse that I, the Lord, thy God will hold thy right hand saying unto thee, fear not, I will help you. And I just kept saying, it. I said, Lord, you've got to help here. Cause I, I don't know what to do. And I remember I got to the clinic. I walked in the door. And the, and the doctor had Federico on that table and Federico had told him, he didn't tell me, but he told him that my tire had run over his leg. And the doctor had his hands on the foot of the leg that I had run over and he lifted that leg up and then he put it back down on the floor and then he went one way and then he went the other way. And then he turned around to me. And if I'm remembering correctly, he just simply said four words. He said, Patricio, yo no entiendo, which means, but I don't understand. And then he goes on to say, he says, look, this leg's not broken. As far as I can tell, he said, there's, there's been no damage except there's some bruise here. He says, I'm just going to give him Tylenol. You take him home. You put him in bed. So I took him home, took him into his little home. Can't remember where the floor had dirt or, or regular floor. But I put him into bed and I said, Federico, I'll see you again. And uh, three days later, because I had gone home for the weekend, came back up to Arcadia. That was on a Friday. And I came back. And on, on Tuesday, when I got back to the school, I walked in and the kids were all yelling and screaming like they do about me, about Patricio, one's our practice, one's our so forth. But I heard this really loud Patricio. And I looked across the school grounds to, and over to the other side of the fence, and I recognized it was Federico. And he yelled my name, and then he came running. 
and he ran up to me and he gave me a hug and I hugged him. And then I looked at him and I said, Federico, do you understand who really protected you the other day? And he said, si, senor. <laughs> yes, sir, I do. And I said, and then I looked at him and I said, Federico, don't you ever jump out of my truck again. And he smiled and he, and he never did. But that was an experience among so many that I had where I really recognized that there was a God who could intervene. Because I'm telling you, Matt, I could have killed him. Mm. I'd run over his stomach or his chest or his head or even his knee or his ankles. No one had killed him but would have done such damage. But somehow the, the tire went between the knee and the, and the hip. And I, I still to this day don't know how why there was not any more damage to the, this boy's leg. But it was an experience that I had along with so many others. But it was such a wonderful time with those kids. I just, I enjoyed it so. And then, you know, there was Fernando, Fernando mania during the time. Of, oh, yeah. I was down there, Fernando Valenzuela. Boy, he was popular down in San Felipe. Mm -hmm. And I remember one year I was bringing the boys up and the girls that, that summer and Dodgers were playing and I called the Dodgers and I said, look, I got a group of kids coming. Could they meet Fernando? And the Dodgers said, look, there, there's no way we could tell you you could do that. So you're going to have to talk to his agent and so forth. So he gave me the agent phone number and I called him. And I reached him and I said, look, I'm bringing some boys. And he said, well, he said, I don't really know. He said, look, if Fernando's pitching that day, there's no chance. But if he's not, I'll ask him. And so when the boys, the children came up, I called and, and uh, the agent told me, he said, Fernando's not pitching that day. And he says if he would love to meet the kids. So we, I brought the 30 of them to Dodger Stadium. They asked us to come two hours early. And then they said, you, and then when I got there, they took the children out. They walked them right out into the infield of Dodger Stadium. Oh, man. And the kids are just going crazy. I mean, this is just unbelievable because <gasps> they'd never even been in the United States. And now they're in Dodger Stadium. And then, and then as they look, here comes Fernando in his Dodger uniform. Oh, and he comes and he sits and he talks to them for about 20 minutes. And then when we we're all done, he came over to me and he said, do I have a list of the children? And I had a list in my pocket. I said, yes. He says, well, could I have it? And I said, yes. So I gave him a list of all the boys and girls. And he said, um, I said, I'm, I have to bring them back tomorrow to back into San Felipe. He said, well, can you come back here to Dodger Stadium? Uh, and I said, yes. Uh, he said, within a week or so. And I said, the next time I come, come back up, I will come. And what he did was he got he autographed an eight and a half by 11 picture of himself and he wrote down every boy in other words for each individual he would say para rogelio espinoso which is for rogelio and then he would sign it down at the bottom fernando valenzuela and then i carried him back to san felipe and gave him to the to the children and to this day there are those of those if i contact them they will remind me that that picture is still hanging in their in their <laughs> room or wherever you know and there's one in the school and it was just a marvelous experience man. that's fantastic I, I, I hadn't heard that story i heard a lot of the other ones i haven't heard that one that's awesome uh, fernando valenzuela was an unbelievable thing wow what a what a pro um that's that's incredible and then you know when you went down to san felipe you needed you 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 couldn't have done it uh, no. without God's assistance. No. I mean, you went down there basically to do something that was impossible right. and, you know, ex excelled at it. I mean, it, it was incredible to to no. know that someone went down there, 
Because like you could say it today and today's a different world and everything, but going, let me see, I'm going to go to another country, a language I don't know, and try to teach kids sports and the love of God. So that brings me to a question. How did you, where did your Spanish, did you study it? How did you get better at Spanish? No, I got better Spanish before I went. Yeah. Uh, I took, I took Spanish in high school. As soon as I went down to San Felipe, that I started Spanish one and I had Spanish two and then I went to college and I had four or five years of Spanish studying there but where i really learned the line i mean i knew i knew enough to certainly get by but it was when i came down into san felipe and just immersed myself with the kids where there was nothing but spanish there was they didn't understand english and so it didn't take long after that for me to really develop the language so that i could speak it pretty fluently and uh and then and then there are all these expressions that you don't learn in a, in a textbook that they use uh you know, there were times when I just couldn't quite figure out why they're saying Dolly, which means give. <laughs> and the first baseman wanted the ball, he'd say Dolly. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was the, anyway, there were expressions like that. But it was, it was, it was a challenge, but it was such a rewarding thing. And naturally, too, Matt, again, I don't know who's really listening and all this to this, but, and what people believe and don't believe. But when I was there, my greatest desire, was for them not to see me and part of it they got to understand too is when they saw me they a lot of what was accomplished was accomplished because of care youth lake because of the of the boys and girls i mean every easter i brought down college young people Mm -hmm. and high school young people to help me and there were all kinds of activities like that and when they came up here to arcadia i mean they stayed in homes and there were all kinds of people involved in supporting this and so it wasn't just me Though everywhere I went in San Felipe, I couldn't go down the street, I couldn't go into a store, I couldn't go anywhere without, you know, hearing my name, Patricio, you know, and I would go, you know, and I'd respond. But there were times when I'd go back to my trailer and sit there in my chair and I'd say, Lord, when they say Patricio, I really hope that they see you, Hmm. that they see the love that Christ has for each one of us and for each one of them, that God really loves them. And they're so special. They're his creation. And I tried to instill with them the, 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 the need to simply put their trust in, in what he has done for them. And their life will be different. Their life will be changed. Um, that's, you know, that's, that's ministry. That's what I've, I've always wanted to do. And, uh, I, I felt like there's so many times I did it so poorly and then other times, you know, they would, they would, and, it, and then again, 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 how long this interviews go, but I, two years ago, three years, well, when I was down in Georgia for those years, I, I kept getting texts from them saying, but Teresa, we want to see you again. And I said, well, look, I'm 2000 miles. There's no way. <laughs> but when I came back up here in 2018, having come back now from Georgia and, and back to my home here in Arcadia and us helping with the care youth league in our churches, um, I told them I was back and they wanted to have a reunion. And so in November of 2018, Barbara and I, and uh, we went down, they told us that they, they were going to have a few activities for us and that there would be a couple of people who would meet us when we got into town and so forth. And lo and behold, I come driving in and the, uh, there's arches right there in San Felipe as you come in. And I, I, as I was going down the road, headed towards the arches, I see three of my former girls 
I, I recognized even their, their facial features, though they were much older than that. But they were all wearing these green teal T-shirts. And it happened to be that as I got closer, I recognized that that was the T-shirt that they wore at the track meet at Care Youth Lake. And they had made, they had made, remade all those T-shirts, obviously in larger sizes and, and with a duplicate. And, they, and everybody was wearing them. And when I got to the arches, there had to have been at least 150 of my kids there. Oh, that's they had awesome. balloons. They had this huge banner. I, I, I didn't feel worthy of all that, but they put this huge banner up and the mayor came and they, uh, we spent about an hour and a half at the arches and, and, and so forth. And then they, they, the next day they wanted to have, they wanted to have a big reunion at the ball field. And so many of my kids came out and they, they ran out to the positions they played when they played with me. And we had a wonderful time. And then the next day they went, they had a big thing at the school and they put a big plaque on the building and all that. And I just, I was, I felt so, um, so unworthy really mm. of all that. Um, but, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a joyous time. They, they keep asking, they want to come back again. And my <laughs> wife and I are really planning to do that sometime. Uh, it's gotten a lot more, and after 2011 or 2001, uh, and towards 2008, 9, 10, and so forth, it got to the place where we were very concerned. The organization was very concerned about the danger that that was that, that Mexico had. You know, mm -hmm. I always felt San Felipe was rather safe, but it was on the other side, Tijuana, and, and that that area was was becoming more and more involved with you know all the things that we hear about and we had a great you know a great uh, obligation to the children not to take them into something that would be very could be extremely harmful yeah. to them and so we finally decided we could not do that anymore but at the time it was a marvelous marvelous time I'm well, sorry. no 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 hey this is why we're here we got no time limit we are going uh now uh well first of all mr Tate, you did deserve uh that high praise you're a very humble guy uh but uh, yeah, to touch so many lives down there is an incredible thing. And um, so Patricio, Pat, Patricio, so uh, that just is means Pat or? Yes, yeah. okay. pa Patricio means it's Patrick or Patricio. Uh, okay. Pat. See, then I looked like, at they, like St. Patrick's Day, March 17th. I'll always get some comments from my San Felipe kids and they'll go, happy St. Patrick's Day, San Patricio. <laughs> they'll send me those things. <laughs> that's, that's great. Yeah, yeah, and and I think I looked it up. It means uh, I think it means noble. Yeah, Patricio. <laughs> so I, it's very fitting, <laughs> sir. Very fitting name indeed. Um, so I got to ask about the because I I never got to go down to San Felipe, and and I totally mm -hmm. understand. You know, my parents were hesitant, and I totally right. get it. Um, but I heard the stories, and even though it's not twenty twenty one, it was pre two thousand and everything it still had to be a little difficult at times getting a bus full of people into San into Mexico or uh, the other way, of course, probably even harder, a busload of kids into America from Mexico. So yeah. was the border quite a challenge? Oh, it was. The border was always a challenge. I always went down before I was going to bring the, the bus down to get the children when I was bringing them back up to the United States, tried to get everybody that I, the federales of the policia, the different agencies involved, understanding what I was doing, and and the thing was, 
uh, it was difficult simply because I could never get anybody, even when I went into these places, to really give me something that would be concrete and I could say, okay, look, I got this from the federales or the, the police chief and so forth. I mean, Matt, you, you can kind of smile at this. I'm sure it's better now, but I can remember going into the police chief and telling him that I, I want to bring this bus down. It's going to be empty. I want to get permission to take it through, bring the children back up and so forth. And he said, well, that's fine. And I said, well, I appreciate that you're saying it's fine, but I need something in writing. Yeah. And, and he actually, on, on his desk, there was a piece of paper he just had on, on his desk. And he just, he signed his name. He said, well, here, take this. Well, I mean, you know, that wasn't very comforting because, I mean, <laughs> so it didn't say anything about what I was doing and so forth. And so we, we brought these, I brought the buses down. Sometimes I was able to get through rather easily. Other times I had to sit for hours sometimes before they would finally say, okay, you can go. And then you won't believe, I mean, actually, one of the, one of the trips, I don't remember what year it was, I brought the children up. We did all those great things, came back on Saturday got in, drove in through into Mexicali, got to the aduana, uh, the people that guard that say you can go and not go and so forth. And they stopped the bus and the guy walked in and uh, he said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to San Felipe. And he says, you can't go. And I said, sir, I have to. I mean, he said, I, I mean, you can see my bus was full of San Felipe children. And I said, I have to take them back. They live in San Felipe. He says, you cannot go. He says, you're going to have to go back to the United States. And I couldn't understand why. And he wouldn't tell me why he just, and then he stopped all cars and made the bus stand Kirby was driving, made the bus turn around and go back into the United States. So we got into the U S side and I went to us immigration and told them what had happened. And they were just, up, they were really upset, but they said, look, you're kind of in a rock and a hard place. Cause these kids can't be here after midnight tonight. And then they said, try the other border. And there was another border about eight miles down. So we drove, we drove the bus down to the next border and tried to cross there. And I remember when I got in, we drove the bus in, hoping he was just going to say, go on, go. I mean, look at what we've got. Be sure everything was, you know, we weren't bringing drugs or anything and go. And they told us the same thing. I don't know if there was something going on or what. They said, you cannot take the kids to, the, to San Felipe. So we sat there for about an hour, maybe an hour and a half. Finally, I had a younger lady, uh, Olga, a very precious girl when she was in my program, which she's now, she was college age at the time. And she'd come up to help chaperone. And Olga said, well, let me go talk to him. So she goes out and it was a, it was a rather young guy. So Olga goes out there and I don't know what, what they were talking. I don't, I don't know. I never asked Olga. All I know was Olga comes back and says, you can go in about 15 minutes. And sure enough, he came back out in 15 minutes and said, you can go. But he did say, if you get stopped, I never saw you. And I said, that's fine. I said, just let us go. And so we did have those issues. Wow. Same way with the, with Christmas presents. Mm. I mean, I could never just take the Christmas presents down. If they did, they, they would, they would want, they want to, you know, they would want to charge me taxes on it. And I had no idea what the value of them were. I remember when I brought my baseball hats down, got stopped at the border and the guy says, what's all these? And I said, well, they're baseball hats for my kids. I'd gotten them from, I bought them from Sportline. He said, well, how much are they worth? And I told him about what I paid. And he said, well, then you owe so much for taxes. <laughs> and I didn't have that much money, but I gave him what I had. And that's all really all I needed. And then I went. 
so yeah you have those wow. experiences so that that's another answer to it it really yeah. is amazing i think it's amazing and a tribute to you and and everyone who contributed to san felipe because yeah I, I still can't wrap my head around how it all happened. I'm like, wait, wait, you can't do all those border crossings all the time. And, you know, yeah, it, uh, was, it, was, it was really a challenge. Really, really incredible. Well, well God bless you, Mr. Taylor, for, for that is uh, definitely a big part of your legacy, I'm sure. And, and it, it speaks volumes to all the, about all the kids who you touched uh, their lives. Uh, so tell me, you were back in Care Youth League uh, working in Arcadia. And I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know what year it was, but you got an opportunity, we'll say, to go to, to Georgia and be a pastor well, there? You know, what happened was uh, 2008 was coming, two, that was 2007, and there had been a lot of discussion in, in uh, even in the Care Youth League about the future and which way, you know, what, and, and I realized at the time that we had some great, and they weren't necessarily young anymore. I mean, anybody younger than you, you kind of feel like they're young all the time, but <laughs> They, you know, they're getting up in age a little bit. And we had some wonderful men in, and women involved in the Care Youth League in, in that year. Men like Chris Horton, uh, who's now president of the Care Youth League, and John Martin, who's the CEO of Care Youth League, and Greg Bollinger, who's the program director of Care Youth League. Um, and we had young men, younger men like Dave Carson Jr. And uh, there were just so many. And I felt like it was time for some of us older ones to, to step aside a little, let somebody else now come in because, you know, you, an organization's got to have new blood and they've got to, and plus it's a different, a different generation, a different, a lot of different things were changing. And so I decided that we probably would, that I would retire. And in doing that, um, while I was in, in my army days at Fort Benning, Georgia, in Columbus, there was a church that I had, had visited and really, really enjoyed being with them and was really with them for 16 months. And um, the youth pastor of that church at the time was now pastoring in LaGrange, Georgia. And um, Leroy, his name was Leroy. Leroy uh, knew that I was retiring. I can't remember exactly how he found that. Anyway, he, he, called, he called. And he said, look, would you come how about you come back and try something different for a little bit and come help us. And I talked to Barbara and Barbara kind of felt like it might be a good thing to do for us. I mean, it was something new, yeah. you know, and uh, we tried to rent our, we tried to sell our home here on Milo Ann and in 2008, that was when that whole market thing was just going crazy. And oh, so yeah, yeah. We, we couldn't sell. So we decided to rent and that we would go back to Georgia for, I, I thought it would be for five years. I kind of committed to Leroy for five years. And uh, so I helped with the church. We did go move back, bought a beautiful home uh, in LaGrange, uh, twice the size of our little one here, and big <laughs> pool, pine cone, the trees. It was just an unbelievable thing. And then when we sold it, we could hardly get 215000 for it back there. But, uh, but it, was a, it was a wonderful time. And I helped with the church and so forth. And then I started, I thought, well, maybe I'll just substitute a little bit just to get back in the classroom. And so I was substituting at a couple schools. And then the week after I was substituting at one school, the headmaster came to me and asked me if I could take the place of a teacher who had lymphoma for, and it was world history and cultural geography. And it was at the high school level. And I said, sir, I thought, I said, sir, that's not my expertise at all. And he says, well, he said, there's somebody else that we're also interviewing. I said, well, you really need to look at that other person. (laughs) 
and I left. I mean, I didn't leave, but I. But he came back a couple of days later. Kind of still up to me. He says, "No, he said we really want you. Can you do it?" And I, I ended up probably studying more than the kids did for the, that second <laughs> semester of that time. But then, right at that moment, uh, right when I finished with that, the Spanish teacher that was teaching at that school was leaving to be a missionary, and they had no one for the Spanish program. And wanted to know if I would take it, and I said, "Well, again, it was within that five-year period, so I started." The problem was I got so attached to those kids mm. that I just couldn't leave them because it was Spanish one and Spanish two. And so I finished in Spanish one, I had to finish in Spanish two until finally 2018, I said to the headmaster, Mr. Pola, I, we, need, we do need to get back. So I spent 10 years back there. Wow. Uh, had a wonderful time. Uh, a lot of great experiences in that little Southern town called LaGrange, LaGrange <laughs> 60 miles South of Atlanta. Uh, traffic, never any traffic, get on 85 and just go anytime, any, any hour didn't make any difference. Oh man. Oh, so, I mean, the, Sounds when wonderful. I got back the culture shock of the traffic and everything that had occurred here was just unreal to me. Just, just, and prices, everything was just so much higher out here than it was in the range. Now anyway, when, that's what I did when you were, that's, that's incredible. And then when you were in Georgia for 10 years, I mean, you, this happened when you were a kid up in Northern California, did it? I know. Did you, did you get any infatuation with the local teams in Georgia when you were there? Yes. Uh, well, I became a real Georgia bulldog fan. Okay. Uh, I was, I've, I have Georgia hats. I have Georgia pajamas. I have Georgia license plate uh, covers. <laughs> I have Georgia things that are on the back of my car that has a G <laughs> yeah Georgia Bulldogs and we really had a chance at it a couple of years ago Alabama just uh, but then, oh. but but back there you got to understand too uh, back there professional sports wasn't near like it is out here mm-hmm. what was back there was college yeah Auburn was just about 30 minutes away from us in, in Alabama and then you have Georgia and then you have uh, uh, Alabama uh, and you were either, you, you were one of the three. Yeah. Um, and my wife was always a UCLA fan. We used to have, a, she even put a little UCLA flag attached to our uh, mailbox, uh, but it got stolen within three days. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I should laugh. Just, I should it, laugh, but they're it, diehards it, out there. <laughs> yeah, they are. They are. And there are license plates that say half Alabama, half Georgia. Uh, very close friends of ours that live two doors down, uh, Scott and, and Michelle. Michelle was just Georgia and Scott Man. was just Alabama. And they I had a license plate that, that showed both. I mean, they, that's they, great. It's, it, it is something. Oh there. man. They love God and college football. That's for <laughs> that's sure. Right. Yeah, Southern <laughs> towns. You got to understand what's back there. Yeah. Very, very different. Um, let, let me ask you about, um, I, I, every time I think I heard you speak in church or give a, a message on a summer trip or something, I felt like you brought up Hudson Taylor. And so speak, if you can, about maybe the impact. And, and were you a little biased kind of towards him just because he had the same yes. last name, right? Yes. No, what really happened there was uh, Mr. Hampton. Uh, when I came down, when I was in high school up in Lodi, and I would come down to visit for the week at Christmas and Easter, Mr. Hampton would take me back to the bus station in Los Angeles, Greyhound bus station. And my junior year, as I was going to the bus station, we got to the bus station. Mr. Hampton gave me a book. He said, Pat, he said, if you take time, read this book. It was called Hudson Taylor, A Man Who Believed God. I started reading that on the 
bus on the way up. Took about eight hours to get up to Lodi. I didn't finish the book. But I do remember when I did finally finish it, I set it down on my desk. And I said, Lord, what you did for Hudson Taylor, hmm. what'd you do for me? His life, uh, and partly I'm sure Matt, the book, Taylor probably, I don't know about that part as much as he it interested me because his last name was Taylor. But I, I don't think there's a book that has ever been written by him or about him that I don't have. Mm -hmm. There's a seven volume of his life. Remember, he started the inland, uh, the China Inland Mission, which became Overseas Missionary Fellowship. But I'd highly recommend to anyone who is seeking to do, seeking to know the Lord, is to, to get a hold of that book, A Man Who Believed God, Hudson Taylor, and read it. And your life, you, you cannot read it without sensing that there's a living God who wants to do some great things in a person's life. And Hudson Taylor was a marvelous, I mean, an un unbelievable story, really, of, oh, yeah. of a missionary work in China. Yeah, he he, he was a great influence. Oh, I bet. <laughs> really uh, great influence. A couple connections, well, kind of connections we had, but um, uh, when I was in high school, we had uh, 15 students, and uh, we actually had a few foreign exchange students, but one of the uh, students uh, we had was uh, Nick Liu from Vietnam. And he, and I know he stayed with, with you and your wife all, all throughout high school. So you had kind of a connection to the class of 2003 a little bit. Yes, we did. Two, we, yes, Nick Liu. And um, there was another boy named Max. And Max, I don't know whether Max uh, Kim, I'm not I think? sure whether Max was a class of 2003 or he might have been 2004. I'm not sure. Well, I think it was. But Max yeah. was a Korean boy. And uh, Nick obviously was from Vietnam. And they lived with us. Um, and in those days, we kind of, we kind of, uh, we, we encouraged the foreign exchange students, if they could, to live with faculty members simply because we thought it was helpful for them. Yeah. And uh, with Max, and I mean, because Max was Korean and Nick was Vietnamese, uh, the common language was English. Nothing, they could not speak to each other, really. And so that was really good. And they immersed themselves in it. Nick, especially Nick really became very close to us. Uh, as I understand now, he's in, in, in Chicago area somewhere. He, he periodically will contact uh, through Facebook, uh, my wife, uh, or, and he will, and he refers to us as mom and dad. Oh, uh, yeah. A lot of uh, experience with that. And other teachers have too. Marlon Oric Hampton, no, actually Mr. Oric Hampton Sr. passed, uh, I mean, Oric Hampton Jr. passed a few months ago. But they had uh, a couple of their, they had students like this in their home, and they actually were invited to the wedding of uh, the young man who stayed with them. He went back to Vietnam, got married, invited uh, Oric and Marla to be at the wedding. Wow. They went back to Vietnam to do it. That was the influence that oh, yeah. uh, our foreign exchange students have had uh, on us and we on them. Randall Fullerton, the one who is very, very indispensable for Care Youth League and Rihanna Prep School, um, is head of that program. And we've had a lot of wonderful, wonderful foreign students. And in some ways, it's it's just another outreach for a missionary program. In yeah. Because they go to their own, they go back to their countries and they do their thing. And you, know, you never know for what influence they'll be there. I would love to. Yeah. It's been a while since I've uh, talked to Nick. I got the like, hit him. Uh, yeah, if you ever get him. hold of him. 
Uh, you know what's funny? I remember a JV. J, we played a JV football game, and Nick Lou picked up a fumble and ran about seventy yards for a touchdown, <laughs> and we were yeah. so fired up. Uh, and just, I remember thinking, like, and even to this day, I'm like, I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah. how many kids from Vietnam have scored a touchdown before? And I was like, <laughs> right. Nick Lou's got to be one of the. <laughs> so yeah. one of my favorite. I think it was his birthday. We, it was a Super Bowl, and you guys had the, us over that. I, I I don't know why I remember these things, but I do. Yeah. Um, so great guy, yeah. Plenty of uh, foreign students that have uh, come through Rio, and then, well, two quick stories. First of all, when I was a kid, you'd come up and speak at summer camp, winter camp, whatever it was, mm-hmm. and we always had these intense Bible basketball games. Yes. Intense. And Todd Carson later told me this on later in life. But um, I took pride in being, you know, answering the Bible questions and competition. That was always my thing. I think we lost in the Bible basketball championship game. And uh, I got emotional. I kind of cried or whatever. And Todd told me that you told him, you pulled him aside and said, we got to get that guy in the school or something along those lines. So that kind of began, I guess, leaders saying, Hey, you should come to Rio. <laughs> so, changed my life forever. Um, yeah, we, you were a great young man, Matt. Uh, oh, I appreciate you, that. Uh, you know, you were, it was, it was a joy to have you and always considered you to be really one of the leaders of, of that, of that particular time. Same way on the summer trip, you were, you were the one that I kind of, you were just the leader and uh, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of great things were said about you and, and uh, you were, you were very important to us. I appreciate that so much. Uh, I love contributing any way I can now. And uh, yeah, so many great and memories. Your mom and dad. Yes. Yes. Very <laughs> big contributors. My dad yeah. ma- majored in Spanish. I don't know if you guys ever chatted in Spanish. No, I didn't know that. No. I didn't know that. Yeah. Big Spanish speaker. Uh, he shows it off a time or two and uh, it's pretty funny. <laughs> um, the, uh, do you remember this story? This is kind of how I want to, wrap up with something kind of funny, at least I found. Do you remember a certain uh, message? It wasn't in church, but it was something or other leaders meeting that Rick Johnson spoke and he got up in front of the room and he's, he had a basketball and his message was keep your eyes on Jesus, no matter what you're doing. And randomly he would throw the ball out to the crowd because I guess he was known for no look passes and he was throwing the ball to people. And I remember Mrs. Marion Carson, she, you know, she caught it, but she was surprised. People were surprised. Well, about after four or five, four or five passes into the audience, I think he hits you square in the head and the bar shade out <laughs> and people, and you said something like message received or something. I don't remember exactly what you said. It was rather funny. Yeah. We weren't sure how to react because Mr. Taylor just got hit by a basketball. Like, <laughs> Yeah, no, I do remember that. And I think it was message received. I, yeah, I was embarrassed. It was just one of those. <laughs> I think Rick was embarrassed. I talked to him on this years, uh, a few months ago. And he goes, I was so upset and embarrassed that happened. But yeah, keep your yeah. eyes on Jesus, man. You got to keep your yeah. head up. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, funny, funny times, funny marriage. Mr. Taylor, this has been a blast. Yeah. This has been a great time going down memory. Good, man. You. Well, thank you. I appreciate you and, uh, it was it was fun doing. Oh, I'm <laughs> glad. I'm really glad. I'll put this out probably uh, on a Friday, not this Friday, but next Friday. So uh, we, uh, I will keep you posted on it. And uh, just thanks so much for all you have done. Uh, you've truly been a blessing you, to man. so many people. Appreciate and um, glad you were able to do this with me. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. You got it. Talk to you soon, Mr. Taylor. All right. Bye-bye. Bye now.
Well, guys, that was an absolute pleasure chatting with Mr. Pat Taylor, Patricio, who's done so much for so many kids uh, around the world, really. And um, man, if you're not uh, blessed a little bit today, uh, if you're not feeling a little bit more inspired to do whatever it is you're called to do, then uh, you know you must not have been listening because an incredible story and a tremendous, uh, incredible man of God that I think we can all learn a thing, uh, a thing or two from. So thank you, Mr. Pat Taylor, for that. And looking forward to another fun interview on the Get Home Safe podcast next Friday. So guys, thanks for your time. Have a great weekend. And as always, guys, no matter what you're doing, whether you're out on the town or around in third base, get home safe. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Get Home Safe podcast. We greatly appreciate the support. We know we have a lot of loyal listeners out there, but we always want to keep people informed of the many ways to follow the Get Home Safe podcast. We have various social media platforms. Our Twitter handle is Get Home Safe Pod. Our Facebook and Instagram page is Get Home Safe Podcast. And our email address is Get Home Safe Podcast at yahoo.com. There's plenty of ways and options to listen to the get home safe podcast anchor helps distribute our podcast to places like apple spotify google and many more we also have a youtube channel that is brand new for us not a whole lot of content on there yet but we're going to try to put out more and more video episodes in going forward as well as short clips here and there regarding uh, big events that happen uh, over the course of time so lots of options out there guys we'd love to hear from you send us an email offer uh, some suggestions or content uh, topics or uh, just ask us some random questions. We always appreciate that. I know Bill Barnes does, especially on Wednesdays. So uh, looking forward to continue to bring you great episodes here on the Get Home Safe podcast on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Guys, have a great rest of the week. And as always, no matter what you're doing, whether you're out on the town or around in third base, get home safe.